0: Hi, I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. We attended the Higher Things Beyond Reasonable Doubt conference at SIU Carbondale, which took place July 18th through the 21st.
1: Higher Things is a recognized service organization that makes the gifts of Christ Jesus known to youth and young adults. Each summer, Higher Things hosts conferences where youth pray and learn together.
0: We had the opportunity to visit with conference attendees and speakers. In this episode, you'll hear one of those conversations at Higher Things Beyond Reasonable Doubt. Thanks for listening to the Coffee Hour. <laughs> You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I should wait till the countdown's Mm -hmm. done. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates.
1: I'm Sarah Gulcest.
0: We are at the Higher Things Conference at SIU Carbondale, Illinois. And we're going to chat with one of the presenters of one of the breakaway sessions in just a moment. Thanks to Concordia University, Wisconsin, for supporting The Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University, Wisconsin at cuw.edu.
1: Live Uncommon.
0: Joining us at the KFUO booth at the Higher Things Conference, Vicar James Gramzow. He's a summer vicar with Higher Things. Vicar Gramzow, thanks for joining us. Great to be with you. I'm excited to learn about your presentation that you shared recently with youth and adults here at the Higher Things Conference. Hymnody, the sung apologetic. And I know Sarah's pretty stoked about this as well, and your husband, if I understand correctly, got to attend it.
1: He went to it and came back with raving reviews, so...
0: And we were here at the booth and didn't get to go. Yeah. But before we even get to that, help us understand what a summer vicar with higher things (laughs) is. Right. So I
2: just finished my first year of studies at Concordia Theological Seminary in Fort Wayne. So I'm... I I. what call myself a fake vicar. I'm more of an intern. (laughs) I will go back in the fall for another year of study before they send me out to be a vicar. So what I did was I went through an interview process and once I got the job, they said that I would be leading a breakout session and that I would be part of the daily worship services, helping out in the chapel. So vicar is kind of, I don't want to say it's wrong to say, but it's not vicar in the traditional sense of the word. So I'm mostly an intern, but they give me a fancy name, which I appreciate.
1: (laughs) Everyone likes a fancy name. Yeah, absolutely. So is this your first Higher Things experience? Have you been here before?
2: This is my very first Higher Things experience. I never attended a conference. I was never a CCV. My wife has been to several conferences and when I told her that this opportunity came up, she said, you're going to do this. And <laughs> so I'm here. And I thank her for that because it's been wonderful. I've very much enjoyed myself. What? So,
1: are, yeah. What are some of the things you've experienced and learned in your experience here? Well, a
2: lot of things, it's just stuff that I haven't done before. And it's sort of pushed me out of my comfort zone in a good way. Things like making promotional videos for higher things to put on social media pages is mm-hmm. something that I hadn't done before. Even the very concept of writing a breakout session, I've really never led Bible study before or done something like that. So that was a unique experience and really good opportunity, I think, to put together a presentation and give a presentation twice. So that was very good. And I'll be honest with you, I've never been in a a worship service with 1,150 people before and uh, singing all those hymns and seeing that many people commune got me on the opening service. I teared up a little bit, I'll be honest, but it's been wonderful so far and I'm very very glad to have the opportunity and very happy to be here.
0: Tell us about hymns and how hymns have been a part of your life, your formation. How do they how do they shape you and your daily vocation?
2: Yeah, so my mom is very musically gifted. She's a great soprano voice and she was singing in choirs through high school. And when she came back from college, she started being in the trouble choir at church. And so in the womb, right, I'm hearing music <laughs> and being a part of her choral experience. So music has always been very important in my life. And the, the hymns at church, I can remember being able to recognize the notes in the hymnal. When they would go up, the pitch would go up. And when they would go down, the pitch would go down. And then finally being able to make sense of that. And then really what my my presentation was geared towards was the fact that realizing that hymns are not just something that we do in church to fill time, but the things that the pastor is saying from the pulpit and what we are hearing read is being reinforced in what the church sings. And then throughout the week as we go about our lives, we have these melodies and these words on our hearts and our minds, and they become sort of our vocabulary that we can have in our personal devotion lives and in our conversations with other people when we are asked to sort of say, you know, explain who we believe God is and what he has done for us. These things are given to us, certainly in God's word read and preached in things like our creeds and in our church's hymnody. That is so rich in, as I put it in the conference book, nuanced in various varied ways, mm-hmm. so that we are able to sort of see many different biblical illustrations or connections and use those to explain truths about how the hymnal splits it up, you know, what we believe is going on in Advent and Christmas and Easter and Pentecost and things like justification, all of those things that. We might be called at any time to give a defense about the hope that we have in Christ Jesus regarding any of those things that it's not that I've sat down and memorized what's in a systematics theology book, <laughs> but instead we we have these treasures of the church, our hymns, that give us these words that we can speak and Ponder and inwardly digest, if you will, to have them always in our hearts and in our minds and on our lips, so that throughout our whole lives and even on our deathbed we are able to have these things that give us the comfort of the gospel in several different beautiful and poetic ways.
1: It's really amazing that even now in our in our more modern day, I suppose, we still have hymn writers writing new poetry. New hymn texts about the faith. Like we don't we don't run out of things to write.
2: Right, and I think we can attribute that to the source of our hymnody, which is always the scriptures. And mm-hmm. God promises that His word never returns to Him empty, and that it always accomplishes the purpose for which He intends. And so, you can never read the same passage of scripture and not find something new to understand about it. And I think that's just the wonder and the marvel of God's word. And that is hymnody being the beautiful gift that God has given his church, the creativity to, to write both lyric and melody, and then to bring those together so that that can be brought and given to God's people to sing and, and use in their devotion and worship life.
1: So what is it about hymnody that makes it different and unique to learn and memorize as opposed to just memorizing something else? What is it? What makes Hinnity unique in, in how we learn God's Word?
2: I think it's got to be the music, bringing the Word of God to uh, the gift of music and bringing those things together. I mean, we, we teach our kids the alphabet with a song and we mm-hmm. teach them how to clean up their toys with a song and we have all, all sorts of things that we, we learn using song and I think that's just the marvel of God's gift of music that he's given to us and and being able to have that joining of God's word and music together really is what helps our our brains and our, our faith to latch on to these things and to be able to r- repeat and say back to God what he has said to us. I know that the, the whole intent of hymnody by Luther was to teach the faith to a bunch of German peasants who were illiterate and didn't know how to read, but they needed to learn their faith that had been kept away from them for so long. So he said, well, well people know how to sing. We got to we gotta get the word of God to song and get the people learning what it is they need to know.
0: People know how to sing. I kind of wonder if we've forgotten how to sing. I mm. think about how singing was such an, at that time, was an important part, although I guess maybe, I don't know, if was congregational singing, uh, that was kind of revived, yeah.
2: Before the Reformation, congregational singing was not a wide practice. I don't want to make a whole lot of definitive statements on the radio, but... (laughs) I can say that for the majority, a singing was reserved for the monks. In, in their monasteries, the monks would chant their daily offices and they would chant the entire Psalter within the course of a week. And if the people were singing anything, it would be maybe one hymn, maybe once or twice a year during important feasts or festivals and outside of that the people were largely in church sort of to watch it happen and that was that was their worship life and that is very unfortunate to think about the rich practice that we have today and what it was before then i i think that's an interesting thought have we forgotten how to sing in today's culture and that may be true we see in our sort of pop culture a single person who gets up and as I will say, do what they do, and other people will try to mimic that, or people maybe draw back and say to themselves, well, I can't do that, so maybe I shouldn't, instead of modeling for children how you can participate in the sung worship of the church. I know that that's how it was for me. I had wonderful examples with my, my mom and dad, who were both good, strong singers in church, and my grandparents— in church we're always singing so I just figured that's what we as a church do and I think that's perhaps one of the best ways to to teach how to sing is to just model how to do that for for your children and give them a good example to follow
0: just thinking about how congregational singing really made such a difference then Mm -hmm. from the reformation on I know there was obviously congregational singing we read about in the scriptures in the in the early church when did we lose that and then Thanks be to God that we we got that back as a congregation. How much how much of a difference that makes in congregational life and Mm. corporate worship. Yeah, absolutely. We have more to talk about with Vicar James Gramzell, Summer Vicar for Higher Things, in just a moment. You're listening to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates.
1: I'm Sarah Golseth.
0: Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Eddie Bates.
1: I'm Sarah Golseth.
0: We are recording at the Higher Things Conference at SIU Carbondale, Beyond Reasonable Doubt. Mm-hmm. And learning so much with the youth and adults at this conference, our guest today, Vicar James Gramzow, he's summer vicar with Higher Things, and presented a session on hymnody, the sung apologetic. Alright, so apologetics. What's the connection with apologetics and hymnody? What did you share in your session with the youth?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So my thought was, with the conference theme being Beyond a Reasonable Doubt and these breakout sessions focusing on apologetics, Sometimes that word can be big and scary, and people in the pews might think to themselves, well, apologetics is what my pastor and people in academia do, but I, I don't really do apologetics. I sort of just come to church and I do my thing. But what I presented and what I posited to the people who came is that apologetics is nothing than hearing, learning, and taking to heart that what you hear on Sunday morning, and then living that out in your life— and so that the conversations that you have and the way you present yourself to the world is characterized and shaped by the Word of God read, preached, and sung in our church's hymnody. And so that where, where I was talking about the varied and nuanced ways to speak about our church's doctrine and beliefs, that is given to us in our church's hymnody with its poetry and with its imagery so that apologetics isn't necessarily memorizing every every word in the confessions, but it is being able to call to mind those things that we have repeated week in and week out in our divine services, in our church's worship, liturgy, and hymnody.
1: What are some of the different things that we learn throughout our hymnal? I mean, we have hundreds of hymns in LSB, there's even more in TLH even more and LW and as we go along there, so we have such a wide variety of a collection of hymnity for our church. What are some of the what are some of the things that we can learn from different hymns, different seasons of the church here, different sections of the hymnal?
2: Yeah, so what I tried to emphasize uh is I think I mentioned it briefly before, is what is actually going on at Christmas time or what are mm-hmm. we what are we celebrating? during Easter and, and and one of the one of the points that I made was that there is a Trinitarian necessity to the scriptures and, and who we worship as Christians must be the triune Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And how Luther splits up and designates creation to God the Father, redemption to God the Son, and sanctification of the Holy Spirit is Certainly a fine way to think about it and not wrong in any way, but that to think that the Son and the Spirit are not involved in creation, or that the Father and the Spirit are not involved in redemption, or that the Father and the Son are not involved in sanctification— is probably not the best way to think about it, and our hymnity helps correct that in the Christmas hymn that I had the group look at. See amid the winter snow. The second stanza talks about low within a manger lies he who built the starry skies. So at Christmas time, we confess that the one who's lying in the manger is the son of Mary but is also the Alpha and the Omega, the eternal, all-powerful God, who is in the beginning, as St. John reminds us, who is with God and who is God. So the sun, involved in creation of the starry skies, is the baby who lies in the manger in Bethlehem. So Christmas is more than just about uh, some... Podunk kid from Nazareth. It is about <laughs> the savior of the world incarnate in flesh, in blood, so that the happy dawn of redemption may come, as it is uh, put in the refrain, and to sing through all Jerusalem, which is an interesting thing to say when you're supposed to be in Bethlehem at the manger side, but Jerusalem being where God dwells with his people and that the locale of God's presence is no longer confined to the Holy of Holies in the temple, but it is now in the very flesh and blood of the man, Jesus Christ, who is God himself, to be with his people, not only on the mercy seat, but in all times and in all places where he has promised to be in his word and in his gifts of his sacraments for the forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation.
0: That's a good example of how hymnody can help us learn something that sometimes is a bit challenging to comprehend just in conversation or just in in studying or reading, but gives us an example. Do you have another example of that where hymnody does a nice job of helping us learn a concept or a, a, a teaching that might be challenging just <laughs> in conversation?
2: Yeah, so the, the other one that I was drawing upon in Pentecost, I sort of made made the comment that Pentecost, sometimes we we might have trouble understanding what's the most important part. Is it the flames coming down from heaven? Is mm-hmm. it the speaking in tongues? What does speaking in tongues mean? It's all kind of a little bit of a, a quote-unquote, if you'll allow me to say, a letdown, because mm-hmm. Jesus has already ascended back up mm-hmm. into heaven, and now the disciples are in a locked room thinking to themselves, well, now what? And that's kind of maybe how we as a church feel like sometimes. It's like, well... We're kind of just sitting around waiting for something to happen, (laughs) but the the giving of the Holy Spirit and Pentecost—not that the Spirit was not present with God's people before Pentecost—but that, and and it's not that we as Lutherans uh, sometimes are knocked for not having a a theology of the Holy Spirit. We're a little too focused on Jesus, we're, we're told. But but the fact that the importance of the of the giving of the Holy Spirit is as as the the hymn lsb 498 and 499 say that the holy spirit teaches us to know the trinity and that anything we know about god is given to us by god himself for us to know we we know the father because we know the son jesus christ and we know jesus christ because that is the Holy Spirit's work to bring to our remembrance all the things whatsoever Christ has done and said. So this is sort of where that Trinitarian necessity comes back into play, that the the son, of course, is the one who dies on the cross, but he is only the one who dies on the cross because it is the father's will to send him. And he goes at his father's command and the Spirit's job always is to point to the person and work of Christ for our salvation. And so the Father sends, the Son affects, if you will, it, it, with his his sacrifice on the cross, man's salvation, and the Spirit's work of sanctification points us back to Christ's work of redemption, which is always the the will of his Father who is in heaven. So... Pentecost being more about flames of fire and and speaking in tongues, but but the gift of the Holy Spirit calling to remembrance the things that Christ has taught and teaching us to know what we can know and have been given to know about the Trinity. And that is only what the Trinity has given us to know about him. And for that, we thank and praise him for that which he has given us to know. And we celebrate and give thanks for that.
1: It's amazing what you can get out of one hymn or even like one phrase of a hymn. There's so much packed into each of these hymns. Our hymnal is is, is such a, a treasure of theology for us in a way that we can teach children all the way up to adults, there's, there's points for everybody to pull out of each of these hymns. It's just, I, I love hearing you speak about all of this. It's just, it's wonderful. And,
2: and these are things that our children can sing.
1: Yes. And mm-hmm. so they,
2: they don't even need degrees to, to, oh to, be able, to be able to learn these things. Now, certainly not flesh them out and understand it as deeply as maybe I just expressed. But mm-hmm. if we speak in a certain way to our children when they grow up and they hear these things, they will be able to recognize and verbalize and understand them in the way that they have heard, which I think it is, that, that is perhaps the most important reason why we, we model this for our children, so that when, when they grow up, they have this vocabulary to use and draw from and gain better understanding of as they continue to grow and mature in their faith.
1: One of the things my husband had a raving review about was, Lord thee I love with all my heart. Apparently, you have this, this thing with a Greek phrase in this hymn, and he said, I absolutely must ask you this because it was brilliant and it blew his mind a little bit. So I need to know what you told them.
2: <laughs> I have to give all credit for this to my seminary professor, Dr. John Bruss, uh-huh. who led us through the Great Commission one time in our Greek readings class. So I, I speak that which I have been given to speak <laughs> from my from my professor, but it, it struck me so so much, so I, I had to include it in my presentation mm-hmm. the the final sort of phrase of I believe it's the first stanza, "Lord Jesus Christ, my God and Lord, my God and Lord, forsake me not, I trust thy word. Mm. And that idea of not being forsaken, and that Christ is with us always, that he tells us in the Great Commission, I wish I had had my Bible here with me, but I, the, the long and the short of it is is when he is about to ascend, and he says, go therefore and baptize all nations, or make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you, and lo, or behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. The 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 Gramso translation that I'll use this morning that I that I picked up from Dr. Bruss is as as you are going, baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching you to obey or observe all the things whatsoever I have commanded you, and instead of behold or lo, insert the word voila or in <laughs> this way. And so in the in the baptizing, in, in the triune name, and in the remembering and doing all the things whatsoever he has commanded, voila, I will be with you all the days, even to the completion or the end of the, of the age. So it's not that Jesus is saying, hey, sometimes you're going to have a bad day, and you're going to feel sad, but like, hey, man, I'm with you, so it's all good, right? He's giving you a more concrete promise that specifically he will be with you all of the days in the baptism into the triune name and in all the things whatsoever he has commanded, both in his earthly teaching and ministry and most certainly in his command for us to take, eat and take, drink the bread, which is his body, and the wine, which is his blood. So in these things, the word of God, and in his holy sacraments, voila, or in this way, look there. He is with us all of the days, even until the end of the age, wherein he will come again to take us to be with himself and his Father and the Holy Spirit forever and ever. Amen.
0: We have just about a minute left. Your summer vicarage here at, serving as summer vicar here at the Higher Things Conference, will you be heading to the the other conference in Texas as well? I, I will. As I'm looking the, forward to it. So what do you think you'll take back with you to seminary when you go back for a second year mm-hmm. of seminary, having had this summer internship or vicarage experience with Higher Things? I think the biggest thing is just a lot of experience,
2: experience talking to a lot of new people and making a lot of new friends and connections and just really benefiting from being part of something that is bigger than me and being thankful for the opportunity to grow in a a teaching capacity and, and just being thankful for the time and the mentorship that I've had and, and, to, and putting into practice those things that I get as constructive criticism of w- what things I can do better in the future.
0: Our guest today, Vicar James Gramzo, Summer Vicar for Higher Things. Thanks so much for being our guest on the Coffee Hour. Thank you for having me. It was a joy. You're listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates.
1: I'm Sarah Golseth.